Hello, and welcome to Dodecahedron, a podcast by, for, and about role players. I'm Jess Vetters. And I'm Colin Lamothe. Every week we get together to talk about a range of gaming-related topics, from creating a character to running a game, and you know, what it all means for people who share a favorite hobby. We may not be experts, but we do have pleasant voices and a wealth <laughs> of gaming experience that we're eager to share with you. Our topic today is what you need to run a game. But before we get into it, Kolinsky. Uh, yes, yes, Jasinski. I have heard through the grapevine of you that you are starting a new, um, what is, what, what do we call it? A, a day job? Is that right? Oh yeah, a new, a new job, yes. Uh, uh, yes. We in the industry call, um, a distraction from gaming. Ah, so, um... <laughs> You haven't told me a single thing about what this job is, only about what it isn't. Will you, will you update me just like very, very briefly so I know what's going on in your oh, yes, sumptuous little life? Yeah, yeah, no problem. I, I picked up a job uh, at the university here in in Indianapolis, uh, Indiana University, uh, where I'm going to be kind of helping out with... Uh, Kind of a medical implementation team, just about as far as I'll get into it. Uh, but it's very nice, lovely office right on the canal. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And um, I'm looking forward to doing some really nice work there. And uh, it'll be nice to have, you know, a paycheck, you know, the means by which to survive in our world. Means are always nice. That little monetary reward that you get for trading oh, yes. away your time kind of makes it worth it. Absolutely. Uh, you mind if I fire back a status question to you, buddy? How how how's gaming been going for you? I don't think God. I've I don't think I've done a pulse check on on what you've been up to for a little while. I think our listeners might be yeah. interested, especially the ones that are actually in your stuff, on on how you choose to describe your experiences with them. I guess I haven't really been relaying as many here's what I've been playing stories lately. No, uh, I mean, I, that's why I got you on it. But let me simply say, uh, in the two campaigns that I'm playing in right now, uh, one of them has taken a bit of a backseat because the player who is in one but not the other will be going out of town for like a month. Ooh. So. Okay. What we basically do most of the time is switch off Eberron Pathfinder, Eberron Pathfinder, and lately we've been going pretty hard on just, like, hitting that Eberron game every week so that when the time jump happens, it won't feel like now we're just missing out on a lot of play in this game. Kind of just like making up for lost time ahead of time. Well, I uh, mean, are you going to are you going to actually put the game like suspend the game on hiatus while that player is out, rather than finding a way to kind of like bring them out of the story and then bring them in again when they return? Yes, we will actually be suspending play on it. I see. Interesting. What led uh, to that decision? Well, it's kind of a twofold thing. The, the first part, eh, first point is that. We only have four players in, well, in both games right now. Mm. Uh, so losing one isn't necessarily enough to say, like, well, we can't play because there's the half plus one rule, which is, if you're unfamiliar, as long as you have half of your players plus one, 
it's generally okay to keep playing. That is an excellent rule. Now, the reason that we're kind of waylaying that is because the player who is leaving is kind of the... I wouldn't say main character of the game. We do sort of have a main character in that campaign, but it's not this player. However, she is sort of playing the heart of the party, and playing without her is... It's just a little bit less fun with that particular group. Not because of the players, but because of the characters. Okay, all right. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to ask for a, a teens bit more clarification. Give me a short rundown on the characters. Okay, so that is the game in which I am playing Staniel, the Dwarven Bard. Oh my god, you and your names. I hey man, Staniel is a great name I and I will fight you on it. I know you will. I just God. Alright, continue. Friggin' continue. Uh, we are joined by Gilwyn, the one-armed Siren wizard, uh, Bliss, the changeling fighter who uses two swords and has a split personality that is kind of just coming into play. Less split personality and more voice in the back of their head telling them to kill everything all of the time. Oh, so that's very, fun. Very anime. And the character whose player is leaving for a month is May. A sort of psychic changeling, or not changeling, halfling monk. Huh. Wait, how are you and, sort of psychic? Well, she's like a crossbreed halfling Kalishtar because of weird plot reasons. It's, uh, it's a whole thing. But she can, like, talk into people's minds but doesn't have, like, crazy psionic powers like often come in the Eberron or 5th edition settings. Hmm. I haven't so, played in the Eberron or 5th edition settings. I didn't know there were crazy psychic powers. Oh, yeah. Eberron is full of, like, just absolutely bonkers psionic stuff. Oh, nice. I have to look into that. We kind of avoid it for the most part because it can be super game-breaking. <laughs> uh, but... Our DM is just seeding a little bit of that in through this one character. Uh, okay, fair, fair. May, the halfling monk, is just delightful in every possible way. Uh, barely speaks, like, the common language. So every time she speaks in it, it's this very, like, sing-songy childlike sort of voice and then you pair that with the fact that she loves to take care of animals and she's like vegan and just tries to take everything and make it a little bit better but can also do more damage in a single turn than any of the rest of the party can usually in an entire fight uh she's very nice she's just delightful so playing without that particular character kind of just feels wrong. So we found a way to avoid that problem. And it's just going to be like, we're taking basically a month-long hiatus from both games. Okay. Hmm. I see. So what will you be doing? We said both games. So what will you be doing game-wise during that month? Well, we, uh, we took 
our Pathfinder hiatus over April, and we're taking the Eberron hiatus over March, or not March, May. What are months, really? What is time? Constructs. Uh, but our DM for Eberron wants to run, uh, I think he wants to run a one-shot or start a new side game um, of a new <sighs> game from the creator of Dread called Swords Without Master. Which oh, I haven't actually read the source material for it yet, but I will be doing that before. Oh, I was going to say before our next recording, but I think you and I might be recording tomorrow. And that yes. would be a, that would be a stretch to see if I can really get a hold of that. But I will come back with more information about that game because it seems super interesting and I'm super into it. Yeah, please do. I'm I'm. I'm interested that the name is very grabbing. The one thing that I can tell you about it is that it is so narratively focused that there are actually no mechanical dice rolls in terms of like, I do this thing and the dice say whether it happens or not. The dice rolls come into play when you are setting the mood. Ooh, give me, so give me, like, give me, give me, give me. Basically, you start off with the... Um, can't remember what they call the person who runs the game in that but you know they all have different names and this one i remember being interesting but i don't remember what it actually is like they will roll the dice to set the mood and you have two different colored d6s and whichever one is higher your mood is uh, i'm totally gonna say the wrong words in system but basically like triumphant or somber oh and then they set up the story and the scenario in that and like the players chime in with what's going on and what they're doing and it stays at that mood until they hand off the dice. Fascinating. Yes, please do some research on that and let me know because that sounds like an absolutely compelling system to run a story in. I really feel like you would love it from what i know about it and we will talk more about that next time yes but please. this time we are here to talk about what you actually need in order to run a game sure sure very very important stuff and tends to change depending on what kind of game you're running absolutely why don't and you now, like, oh go ahead sorry buddy oh i was just gonna say i can give a really pithy very short answer as to like Here's what you need to run a game. Piff it up, buddy. Players. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. That That's kind of the be-all, end-all of it if you want to get real sarcastic. Yeah, if you want to get real sarcastic about it. But, I mean, we're, we're not... We're not doing that. We're trying That's to be helpful. We're, we're not just for. being like, ah, you came in thinking we were going to tell you some wisdom. Instead, we just said players, and we stop our recording at, like... 12 minutes. Our, like, intro and outro music is really hard to vocally imitate. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah, I've, I've tried. It's just... Yeah. It's not easy. It's not easy, friend. But let's... All right, so so obviously you need you need players. You need to decide uh, how big of a game it is that you want to, that you want to run. Um, my usual rule is that I, I won't run a game if I have three or less. 
I, I can sometimes bend the rules if it's three really strong role players. I might start a game with three and then kind of put out my feelers for a fourth that I can bring in down the line. But like my happy place is between four and seven. So I mean, four to six would be my ideal number around a gaming table. I find that in terms of a session, it gives me enough time to effectively put the spotlight on as many of them as possible without running into the problems of uh, of uh, people disengaging. Yes, absolutely, I agree. Uh, and when you're t when you're figuring out how many people you're going to have in your game, that is going to set up what kind of scope that you can actually work with. Because if you've got two people, you are going to have a very intimate game, regardless of what they're doing. Like, running a game for two players is one of the scariest things that I've ever had to do, and that's only because I've never had to run a game for one player. Ooh, I've done a few of those. Like, uh, Ryan will tell you, uh, sometimes when I just get, like, a bug in my head about a game that I want to run, I'd run, like, a horror game, like a horror one-shot with Ryan. And how did it go? Like, just running for one person? Uh, the first one not not great but eventually it went really it went really well time kind of just runs away from you if you only got one person to focus on for the story uh it's easy to lose track of time you don't have that weird awkward gear shifting moment it's definitely a different kind of beast than a, a multiple person game you don't have as much player input you've only got one person that's pushing on the threads of the story uh you know, engaging with the obstacles, trying to change things around. And so sometimes it can feel a little samey, but yeah. apart from that one downside, it does give you a chance to make the story a bit more fluid. There isn't like a, a pause where you're like, okay, and we're going to, we're coming back to this scene and we're moving on to this scene. With the other player, there's no, there's less out of character moments. There's nobody to get distracted and talked to. Uh, there's no chance for you to disengage and start playing a game on your phone. You're literally the focus the entire time. So it, it cuts down on table talk and table distraction a million percent uh, at the, at the downside of, of not having as, as many varied responses to obstacles. Yeah. I will say there is one big thing that makes me very hesitant about ever getting into like a one-on-one -on -one tabletop game please there is a um, there's a video that circulates around the internet every now and then it's fairly old at this point called fear of girls uh it is the source of one of my favorite lines about tabletop role-playing games ever where one guy in character because it's basically just these two characters the dm and the guy he runs his games for and he's standing up pretending to hold his barbarian character's battle axe and he just shouts mercy you wanted mercy i'm chaotic neutral oh that's and where like, that comes from yes and i absolutely just peaked my microphone like crazy it is yeah. actually a very funny video especially if you know like the tropes and the kinds of stuff that they're lampooning but I'm gonna I'm the, gonna look up that video. I I think you should. I think you would enjoy it because it's like absolutely every kind of skeezy weirdo who plays games for maybe not the best reasons 
like in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. And I know it's very easy to avoid being that person. But I feel like every time I have considered running or playing in a one-on-one game, I slip just a little bit closer to becoming the shut-in who doesn't take a shower because, like, let's be real, I have social anxiety, and behind a microphone I'm fine, but out in person I am less so. Uh, so I'm always, like, maybe three steps away from that anyway. Ah, I see, and you and you feel like running a one-on-one game would be like a, a chrysalis moment for you. It might. Interesting. Having four or five people around the table with me means I have to be on and I have to be social. But if it's just me and one other person, what's to stop me from showing up in pajama pants? I'm wearing pajama pants right now. What's to stop you from showing up in pajama pants anyways? Have you never showed up to a multi-person game in pajama pants? Uh, Not since I walked to your dorm room from my dorm room and we were in the same building. I mean, okay, that's... That's justifiable, but I, I've one of my players, my fiance, actually has taken to almost always wearing pajamas whenever she's playing the game. I mean, we run it at, at our house, so she just wraps up in pajamas and and assumes what we sometimes call the wakeful position on the couch and complains that she always falls asleep accidentally. And I'm like, we should probably stop laying down and putting blankets on you while you're playing a game. That, yeah, that, that sounds might... like a real easy way to doze off. That's. <laughs> To be fair, she hasn't done it as much anymore, but it is a a fun running joke uh, with us. But she always does come in with like, like full pajamas, just like ready to go in. It's not even weird anymore. People have just accepted it. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What stops me is that I, I play games at other people's houses. Yeah, so you'd have to do the traveling and I imagine the commuting in pajamas would would be would be an experience. It's definitely awkward at best. Yeah. I think I've gone outside of my apartment, and this is a reminder that I live in New York City. Yes, uh, yes. Gone outside wearing pajamas, like, maybe twice. But you know what is not required to run a game? Was pajamas. It? <laughs> it's not required. You're right. It's It's just a delightful little side item. It's definitely, like, an option that you can take advantage of if you want to. No one is going to judge you That's, don't, too harshly. Don't, yeah, don't don't lie. Don't lie to our listeners. Well, okay, some people might judge you, but those people are not good people. There you go. All right, all right. So, what you do need to run a game apart from players. Uh, first, it might be handy to have a system that usually comes in the form of a core rulebook. Um, uh, some, any, you don't necessarily need the actual physical core book. I know some people that run off of digital copies. I know some people that run off of bloody memory after all this time, but it is nice to have a core rule book, depending on how rules heavy your game is for reference and especially character creation. So usually well, having, go ahead. For, uh, for D and D five, especially and Pathfinder, since its inception, pretty much all of the information for a lot of these games that you will actually need is online and accessible mm-hmm. to the point where if you don't have the means, you never actually have to buy a game book or anything like that in order to play. And they're like free dice rolling apps and stuff like that. So you can play Dungeons and Dragons if you have a single smartphone among a group of people 
and it still works. Hmm. I mean, it's it's true. It can be a little... I mean, it's nice to have more accessible material. I know I personally love having the books on hand. I just like the feel of them and flipping through the pages and whatnot, but that's oh, just God. me. Yeah, same. But I mean, like, I own at least 10 different game books in at least four different systems, so... I own so many more. So, so many more. Yes. Most do. I'm on the low end as far as people who run games. But, you know, that's that gets expensive. Let's... All right, yeah, that's very true. The next thing you need is a space. Obviously, you need a space to gather in order to run your game. You're going to be having people that are, generally speaking, talking in character or talking about brutal things. So it's not exactly something that you can do in just any public setting. Although I have known people to run a game at a McDonald's um, or restaurants and things like that. And I, I have run I have run like pseudo sessions sometimes in public places, but I always get really nervous because I do a whole wide range of voices. And I just don't like people staring at me without the context. I'd feel compelled to like go over to the table and be like, excuse me, good sir. I know you're staring based on the amount of voices that I'm using. Let me explain to you what's happening and the story thereof. So you'll have some context to what you'll be hearing. <laughs> oh God, you would. <laughs> I just, it's, you know, it, that would make, that would make it almost infinitely worse for that person, but. Definitely. But at, but it's, you know, it's possible they might be interested. <laughs> well, I mean, I, uh, I went out to a bar last week, something like that, some day within the last 14 days, and uh, there was actually a D&D &D group playing at like a folding table in the back of the bar. Oh, it was not the quietest place. It didn't seem like it was super conducive to like really good play, but it was definitely working. There were like eight people around the table who seemed to be having a pretty good time. So you can do it pretty much anywhere you won't get kicked out. You know what I find can be pretty fun? Libations in D&D. &D. Have you ever done drunk D&D? Yeah. D&D and D? &D? <laughs> Oh, very many times. Ah, uh, yeah. It's uh, not exactly the most heavy story-based sessions, but man, man, can those be just fun and goofy. It depends on how invested in the characters you are and how drunk everyone gets. I guess that's fair. Because I have definitely had really dramatic, very story-heavy, very drunk sessions. Ooh, you're going to have to... You have to tell me about that sometime. Uh, I, w I will tell you about it sometime. I got to look through my notes and remember, like, which session was I actually completely wasted during? You know, you know what might be interesting for our listeners at some point? Yeah. Um, if we have another little section where we, uh, around a theme, we tell gaming stories related to that theme that we have experienced. That might be a good one to get a couple of guests on. Yeah, 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 that's yeah. it's not a bad, not a bad idea. There we go, building out yeah. content while we build out content. If you ever wondered how the sausage is made here at Dodecahedron, you just heard it. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so you need players, and you, you need, need a space. System. You need a space. Now the space, I want to reiterate, does not have to be meat space. 
if you want to run, like run a role playing game with some randos that you met online yeah. or somebody who has moved away 750 miles and isn't actually able to make it to your living room you can use things like roll 20 or discord or all sorts of different chat programs that let you just talk to each other in that case you just need a space in order to set up with your computer your whatever you're using to connect in and uh and to play from there but the essential part is that you do need a space in order to, you know, bring your games to life. To to run them, you need an actual physical place to be. And generally it is yes. polite if you're not interrupting a bunch of other people at the same time. I mean, you could. And maybe that's more entertaining than some of the other interruptions they might receive. But still, just something to think about. Yeah, like, unless your library has the sorts of study rooms that are sort of soundproofed, don't run a game in the middle of your local library. Yeah, that's, that's probably not probably not for the best. But can you think about how cool it would be if you like if like one of your players was a librarian and uh, they didn't, you know, when they locked up for the night, you just all came over and they opened it up and you just like found a table and you played in like a dark library. How cool would that be? That would be absolutely the coolest, and I need to try and make connections at my local library to see if I can set that up and make that happen. Oh, man, if you do, please let me know. Oh, man, if I do, I'm going to film that nonsense. Pipe dream. Bucket list. All right, so we have established you need players, you need source material or the game itself, and a place. <clears throat> Um, usually you need, uh, some kind of tools to arbitrate whatever system it is you're using. Now, for, like, Dread, that would mean the Jenga Tower. Um, for D&D, that would mean some form of dice or a dice rolling app. Dice are kind of the go-to, mostly because that's how it has been codified in the terms of, like, this is how we create random chance since like what 1971 or some nonsense something like that although i think dice have been used for random chance uh, longer longer ago than that i i mean i literally just meant in terms of system-based <laughs> tabletop role-playing games fair, fair. yes if you want to get technical you can go back what blobbity thousand years blobbity did you say blobbity thousand years yeah what i don't know how many thousand years dice have been around and i don't want to be wrong so you're just going to make up an arbitrary measurement that means whatever it needs to mean? Exactly. Are you just... You... Okay. All right. All right. Fair enough, buddy. But you, you can't know, tell me I'm wrong. I... I feel like you could, but I'm not gonna... That's... That's not a hill I want to die on today. Now, like, the, uh... How did you describe it when you were first bringing up this thing? The... The system to arbitrate the... Yeah, the system to arbitrate chance. Yes. So, yeah, so like, the basis around most role-playing games, and it's not all role-playing games, but most role-playing games is that they have an element of player control, of DM control, and then nobody's control, which is the random chance element, which is what makes role-playing games kind of up in the air where nobody knows exactly what's going to happen because the dice stand-in is your arbitrator of random chance. Now, sometimes that's on a 1 to 20 scale that can be, you know, added or subtracted based on what numbers you have in a skill or, or stuff like that. Sometimes it can be as simple as pulling, you know, for Dread, pulling a, a single block out of a tower and hoping that the bloody thing won't fall down and cause a terrible thing to happen. But there is still that element of chance. You, you mentioned that uh, 
that one time when people were playing Dread, uh, a cat knocked over the Jenga tower, which means the last person who pulled it still had the thing happen to them, even yep. though it wasn't because of the one that they pulled. It was because of random cat intervention. So there is an element of complete randomosity that comes into play, uh, which can be very, which can be very, very fun. Now, like we will go more into this element of it when we talk about systems at a later date. Yes, sir. But I have heard people often complain about the use of dice uh, and stuff like adding in too much randomness to a game, Mm. which I think really comes down to how much does your DM or storyteller or whatever have you roll? Yes. Because, like, if you're trying to pull off an attack in Dungeons and Dragons and you are like a level 15 fighter with a plus nine great sword and you're fighting a level one goblin, there is no logical way that you should be able to miss unless you roll that 5% chance and a one comes up on that die. You know, to be fair, a 5% chance of catastrophic failure. Can you imagine how terrifying our world would be if we all had a 5% chance of catastrophic failure with everything that we did? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Like, one in 20 shuttle launches. Just like, oops, disaster all over again. Don't know why. (coughs) Just random chance. Can't do anything to mitigate it. But honestly... Part of the problem that people have with it is that they put the crit miss rule onto every dice roll, and it's mm. really only supposed to be for combat. If you're right. playing Dungeons and Dragons, a one on a skill check does not mean an automatic failure. You gotta add your numbers. Yeah. But talk more about that later, because dice are still just a very small part of it. You know what else is helpful to have when you're running a game? Uh, a voice. Notes. I mean, yeah. I've, That's very ableist yeah. of me. You can run a game without a voice. I apologize. You, you can. Like, it's actually super easy to run a text-based game. It's been a long time since I've done that, though. to say a thing. But if you are running in person and you are not fluent in sign language and nor are your players and you don't want to write cue cards and placards for everything, then having a voice and being able to use it with at least some measure of control would be helpful in most situations. I don't think you're wrong in saying that. There are ways around it though. But but you were you were actually leading to something else. You you set it I up was. by saying you set it up by saying, hey, what 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 you know what else you need? And and I yeah. automatically just took a random whenever anybody does that to me, I always pick a random out of left field guess. Just because There's it's not, wrong with that. yeah, it's not what they wanted. I don't even try to think about what they wanted. They're going to make me guess. I'm going to, I'm going to make them deal with the consequences of asking me to guess. You know, I did set it up as a question. I should have expected an answer. Yeah, you really should have. Yep. Uh, I was going to say that notes are helpful, whether you are bringing them in to run your game from, or you are taking them to see what your players do. Ooh. And if you want to know more about my thoughts on notes, you can listen to last week's episode where I just kind of rambled on for like 20 something minutes about notes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's absolutely fair. Notes. Now, now Colin, yeah. when you run a game, how, how much note-taking do you utilize? Um, 
do I personally utilize or do I yeah. sub out to the players? How much do you personally, like before, during, and after games? Mm. Minimal, minimal to none. And, and you, that, that's a thing that I'm actually working on improving uh, because for a while, I mean, I'm, I'm fairly adept at running games, you know, shooting from the hip. And while some people, and there are videos online that say that's very unprofessional and people shouldn't, you know, necessarily do that, I'm damn good at it. Uh, and I still make a pretty great experience by making that happen. But I could make my games better if I worked from a position of having at least a loose construct of what I want done that I could have written out on notes. So I'm, I'm starting to utilize notes a little bit more just to organize some of my thoughts. Um, yeah. But beforehand and kind of up till now, I've really used quite a minimum of notes. Uh, I've usually just asked the players to write down the names of NPCs that I come up with just so I can reference them later uh, since I come up with them on the fly. And um, I, I've also had a tendency to do that where it's just like, hey, I have extensive notes about what's going on in here, but my players decided to go down this alleyway that I briefly mentioned but didn't plan for, and now they're talking to the hobo who I didn't give a name to, and now I have to come up with a name. And if the players are really interested in it, now they have now you have to come up with a story for that hobo. Yep. <laughs> Love he when players the do that. Hobo. The littlest hobo. I feel bad about this guy. I hope he I hope he's okay. I, I feel I think the littlest hobo is a, a book or a movie that I'm unfamiliar with, but I have definitely heard the name of, and I should probably look up things before I reference them. You you should. Wait, the littlest hobo is a thing? I'm gonna Google it right now, but okay. I'm one hundred percent sure. Yep, the littlest hobo. It's the first thing that comes up when I type in the littlest Oh my god, it's a Canadian television show what? about a dog. Oh, that's adorable. See? Well, at least now I hope he's okay. All three productions revolved around a stray German shepherd, the titular hobo who wanders from town to town helping people in need. That sounds like a show that you would watch religiously. Oh, man, it is. Anyway. Yeah, so uh, now you guys know about a Canadian show. You're welcome, by the way. Oh, man. My day is so much better learning about what the littlest hobo actually is. But let's um let's circle back around to what you need for a game. So we've gone over, you know, the need for a space, the need for players, the need for a rule system, the the need for whatever arbitrating element you need for the rule system should you have one. Mhm. Mm Another one that we haven't mentioned is time. Time is one of those tricky things that's difficult to um I was just about to say time is difficult to quantify. Mm -hmm. well That's done. Time is a construct. not true. Time <laughs> is a construct, but we quantify it constantly. That's the only reason it exists. Well, you might not be very good at, con uh, at like quantifying it, Jess. That's okay. It's all right to admit our struggles. Personally, it's difficult for me to quantify, but I meant <laughs> more along the lines of time is hard to wrangle when you're dealing with for you or I, like, an optimal group of people. I had this happen to me last week. I was supposed to run a game on Tuesday, and then people backed out, and then it was going to be on Thursday, and then that fell through for various reasons. So now that has been pushed to this coming Tuesday, which, for you listening, if you're listening right when this came out, is either tomorrow or today. Oh, goodness, I need to prepare just a little bit more for that. 
point being, when you're trying to get schedules aligned for a whole bunch of different people who have a whole bunch of different things going on, time is often the hardest thing to figure out. Hmm. Yeah, it's, um, you need it in order, <clears throat> well, all of your players need it in order to actually run the game itself, and that, you know, can range from being just a few hours to a whole lot of hours, and it can range from being once every couple of months to once a week, once every couple of days, depending on how much time you actually have. But it's important to establish, and this is vital to establish when you start a game, is a, <clears throat> a somewhat understanding like an understanding of schedule i know at least for me when i run a game i need a little bit of consistency in order to stay kind of mired within the story if we have like one game and then like two months of of downtime i've come up with like 10 other ideas if i'm not doing any work on that story and i've moved on unfortunately from it now that's the thing that i might have to adapt as i get older and players time goes in different places just right now i'm not so great at going really long distances between um between sessions. I mean, it's difficult to do. We've talked about this before. Yeah. How, like, the longer you go in between sessions, the harder it is for everyone to come back in. And I believe you codified this, like, I'm going to call it a rule for me, where every session that you, or every week that you don't play, roughly, expect an hour of table talk when people get to... The session and like i've seen that hold true in my weekly monday night games like if we don't play for a week or two the first hour of being there is shot to the point where like i will actively show up an hour before i know anybody else is going to get there just so that when i'm talking with my friends who are also playing with me i'm like okay it's just me and the DM and their fiance, because you know it's the couple that DMs together. And we'll just like shoot the shit for an hour because I know by the time everybody else gets there, I need to get it out of my system right, and right. theirs so that we can actually start the game. Exactly. It's it's important to have this this understanding, and I'm glad that you mentioned you know my general observation about OOC stuff, because it does seem to hold true from time to time when those sorts of things happen. Yeah, everybody likes to kind of catch up when they get together, and some for some groups, it's the only time you ever actually see those friends. So yeah, it can turn into one of those things where you're, you know, you're, you're two hours into where you should be in your session, and you're talking about you know, a new job or a new thing that's in their life or whatnot. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that if you want to run your actual game, usually you have a limited amount of time in order to get that done. And you just need to be conscientious. Uh, you need to be conscious of when it happens and how much you have. Exactly. And like, that's something that when you are dealing with the same people over and <clears throat> over and you have a set schedule, there are very simple but not necessarily easy ways to mitigate it like for me it's showing up early as often as i can just to kind of like get those conversations not necessarily out of the way because they are still very enjoyable conversations but like have them when the game is not going on uh but when it comes to 
actually setting up and finding times for and this is something that happens i think more now than it used to back in the day things like games that you have set up through apps like meetup or games that you're setting up online with people that you don't actually have meet space relationships with like actually figuring out hey when is everybody free and scheduling that session in the first place is what has always been a big challenge to me to the point where like I try not to bring things up like this, but I don't actually have any thoughts or advice on how to make that easier. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of right there with you. I'm not 100% sure. It, it, the problem is, is that it, so, it changes based on, on which group of people you're with. It really does. Which brings me to what I believe is the last thing that you absolutely need before you start a game. Um, and that's interest. You can bring players to the table. They can be your friends. You can set out time. You can set out a space. You can have your rule system and you can have the mechanics that you need in order to arbitrate that rule system. But at the end of the day, if you don't have the interest of your players, then you don't really have a game. Yeah, there's not really a whole lot that I can say to counter that, and the only thing I can really say to expound upon it is you can generate interest by having strong ideas, and you can stoke and maintain that interest by playing with people you care about and who you want to spend time with. If you're mm. running a game with randos, it's going to be more difficult to keep that interest up unless you're dealing with like fairly dedicated hobbyists who will want to play pretty much no matter what. But the only way to really keep it, if it's not people that you have a lot of contact with, and even if it is, is you've got to love what you're doing. I think what's important to kind of to pull away from this this last thing is that you know gaming is for a lot of us it's it's a passion uh for some of us it's an escape some of us it's a way to pass the time and spend an uh an evening with people that you care about and others it's a way to meet people it can be used for a whole variety of things but in the end most of what we create at the table doesn't exist. You don't walk away with anything but a piece of paper with a bunch of notes scribbled onto it. That's that's what we create is a bunch is a piece of paper with a bunch of notes scribbled onto it. Everything else, all the other value we create is in the moment, is in the stories that we construct, is in the friendships that we make and the challenges that we overcome. And those are those are pretty important to a whole lot of us, and it's why we keep doing it why we keep coming back to the table but you have to be invested in having a good time and it changes from group to group and time to time what that good time might consist of what kind of a game it is be open and we've we've discussed this in other episodes before but be open to your players be open to criticism don't make it your hill to die on with your your grand story if they're not engaged in it just be open to changing it and have a care for your players and their interest levels, as well as making sure that your players have a care for yours. 
A game is a collaborative exercise, and it's not working if no one is pulling their weight. Yeah, that's kind of a somber note to end on, but I don't think I have anything else to add to that. I think you uh, summed things up very beautifully right there. Thank you. I mean, it's only somber because I spoke in the somber voice. If I had been like, gaming is so great. You know, it's just about what you bring to the table. You, you, you know, if I if I had a different tone of voice, it wouldn't have been somber. I apologize for that. No, it's good. It's good. <clears throat> because that kind of leads me into a, uh, into a little bit where I get to say, if you, dear listener... <sighs> think that we forgot anything or disagree mm-hmm. with anything or have ideas on how we could have improved it you can uh you can let us know in lots of different ways now yes and i mean lots of different ways i've been busy with the social media stuff Ooh, why don't you tell them the ways so you can as always email us at dodecapodcast at gmail.com that is dodeca d-o-d-e-c-a podcast at Mm gmail.com you can also find us on facebook as we've always been we are dodeca podcast there as well we are now on instagram i believe we've got a total of uh like two or three different posts one of those is just a whole mess of fifth edition character sheets that i posted up because I like making character sheets, and if you want to use them, you can. You can follow us there and message or comment or whatever. Also at Dodeca Podcast, and you can find us on Twitter. Yeah, all right. At Podcast Dodeca, because somebody else has Dodeca Podcast, and I am going to find them and ask them very nicely if they will stop holding on to that handle because they're not using it. Yeah, it's- shoot. But yeah. Well, and I think from all of us here at, well, both of us here at the Dodecahedron podcast, Dodeca podcast, we want to thank you for coming out, uh, for listening to us spout our random gibberish involving gaming and our philosophies thereof. We welcome your thoughts, your comments, your criticisms, and we look forward to bringing you more episodes in the future. So thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye.